This is the Podfecta Podcast, the official podcast of the Podfecta Podcasting Conference. I'm David Hooper. There are three elements to the presentations at Podfecta. The first is a single-person presentation, a single podcaster explaining his or her experience with podcasting. It could be about making more money. It could be something specific about advertising or sponsorship. It could be about connecting with an audience, or maybe it's how to be a better host. There are also interactive sessions, which involve Podfecta attendees. And the third option, that's a panel. Panels are limited to three people. This panel is from Podfecta Nashville 2018. Storytelling is the hot genre in podcasting right now, and few people do it better than NPR. I called up three friends from the Nashville NPR affiliate, WPLN. Jacob Lewis, he started as a podcaster, but got picked up by radio. There'll be more on that in this panel's Q&A episode. His podcast, the one that started as a podcast and is now on the radio, it's called Neighbors. It's a show about what connects us. Mariba Knight, she's got a background in journalism. She has a podcast about gentrification. It's called The Promise. And Joshua Moore. Joshua has a unique slant on storytelling. He's a background in poetry. He's got a podcast called Versify. It's, he connects storytellers with poets, and the poets tell those same stories via poetry. I brought in these three people to Podfect in Nashville 2018 to share their experiences with podcasting journalism and also telling a story via podcasting. There's two things I've learned since becoming a middle-aged man, 45 years old. Thank you. One of them is enjoying Costco. Am I right, middle-aged white guys? We love it. Middle-aged black woman too? All right. Well, hey, listen, we're bringing the community together. We need this. We need it. And the second thing, I couldn't fight this, and it's gotten only worse since they've invaded podcasting, is NPR. Who listens to NPR podcasts? Well, there are three of them up here, locally produced. They're going everywhere. Award-winning NPR podcast. I've got Joshua here. Joshua on your left in the middle, Maribah, and Jacob to your right. And they are each doing podcasting in a different way, all storytelling. If you're interested in going deep and really getting emotional connection with your audience. These are the guys that are going to tell you how to do that. So welcome. I'm going to call them uh, NPR. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Technically, WPLN is a NPR affiliate station, community supported. Yeah, I'm Jacob Lewis. I host a show called Neighbors. Um, This is... I'm Maribonite. I am the reporter and producer on a podcast called The Promise about public housing. I'm Joshua Moore, and I host and co-produce the podcast called Versify. Um, well, I think what we should do is like start with a clip of each of our shows just to kind of paint a picture of what they are. I would say, <clears throat> for me, start with the one uh, called Matt Got Shot. Yeah, got it. Do you want to like, start here, and then we can walk up to the red door? Yeah. And I actually haven't... Yeah, we can walk up there. You haven't what? I haven't been back there since except to pop in to say hey one time, but yeah. It's a beautiful sunny day in June, less than half a year after Matt Lovell almost died. He said he would show me the spot in East Nashville where it happened. It's near a trendy bar district called Five Points. Matt's been back to this spot a few times since that night, but not to walk through what happened with another person. Okay, well, uh, I guess I just want to check in with you. Like, right now, where are you at? Before we start walking. Where am I at right now? 
I think we should just walk. <laughs> Matt pulls a small bottle of lavender essential oil out of his pocket and offers me some. I dab a little on my wrist and neck, taking his lead. He says it's good for anxiety. He's wearing a blue baseball cap and sporting a short, scraggly beard. I can tell he's thrown a little, but I can also tell he's trying not to be. He's trying to be okay. And sometimes he is, laughing and talking about his friends, but other times he won't look me in the eye, or he changes the subject by saying, I'm not ready to talk about that yet, or that's personal. But the day is really pleasant. We walk in a neighborhood called Lachlan Springs, but after about one block, suddenly Matt stops, and he starts talking like we're on a live broadcast. Hello, Internet. It's nice to see you. It's about 80 degrees here in Nashville, and we are standing right where I got shot. (laughs) Wait, it's right here? Right here at five points. I am actually shaking a little. Um, But I was... um, Matt was sitting in a car by the side of the road on a cold evening, below freezing. It was January 20th, Inauguration Day. A teenager tapped on the glass with a pistol. Some words were exchanged. The man cocked his gun and then shot Matt right in the chest. Matt screamed, took off running down the street to the steps of a local bar. He came very close to dying. There were hours of surgery, and then somehow he came out on the other side. But that shot, such a violent moment, set off a course of events that were simultaneously damaging and healing. Terrible and wonderful. I'm Jacob Lewis, and from Nashville Public Radio, you're listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Today's story, Matt Got Shot, part one. My show is like a documentary show um, about ordinary people, and I kind of do, they're kind of like a hybrid between like profiles of people, but they have to have an actual narrative story. So that's Neighbors. Um, Maribah. Um, so my, sh- my podcast is called The Promise. Um, I've never made a podcast before. I am a print reporter who came to radio uh, a couple years ago. Um, and I like to start uh, any project with like a central question that I can explore over an arc. And I tell stories, the way I like to tell stories is narrative driven. Um, so I'm just going to play a quick clip. So my podcast is about the James Casey public housing complex, which is the largest public housing complex in East Nashville. And the question that I really wanted to explore was this place is about to change. I had been reporting there for a while, but I just felt like there was a huge, massive disconnect between James Casey and what was happening in the surrounding neighborhood. Obviously, anyone who's been to East Nashville knows it's rapidly gentrifying. And I wanted to explore what the hell was going on there and why Nobody seemed to pay attention to this 63-acre island of concentrated poverty right in the middle of the neighborhood. So can you play They Stay? They stay up there and we stay down here, basically. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. I don't know, just the whole situation and everything, we're, we just kind of let it be and kind of look the other way. It's like a us and them type of thing. That's what you see. That's how a lot of people interpret it. I mean, you see like all the nice has been. You see the project. So, because I mean, the this part of the block is beautiful. Like a lot of nice houses, everything like that. Obviously, over there, less fortunate, but 
there's nothing we can do about it at this point. So we just kind of live and, and just get around it as much as we can. I mean, you can't progress that way if you don't know or take the time to find out about people over here. That's just a small that's a small clip from uh, episode four. But I, I basically spent a year um, reporting from James Casey. I'll, I'll play some other clips, but basically trying to explore this question of what was happening um, inside a place that felt like it was part of a neighborhood, but also so isolated. It really felt like it was a totally different city inside a city that's booming. If you walk into Casey, it does not feel like it's booming. So anyway. I, I like co- complicated narratives. I like contradictory narratives. And so that's what I look for in my storytelling. Um, so again, I'm Joshua Moore. And the podcast that I host is called Versify. And it grows out of uh, a project, an arts project here in Nashville, that's sort of like um, an oral history project, but with an artistic twist called Poetry on Demand. And so our project is almost entirely about collaborative storytelling uh, through the lens of poetry. So if you would... Ibrahim Mizerwa is a mother of five, an accountant, a devoted churchgoer, and a survivor of the 1994 Rwandan genocide. I cannot lie to you. At one point, I felt like the world was ending on us, especially when you see killers, you know, brushing their machetes. It's one thing to that just goes through your mind and you feel like, oh, I'm dead. I'm gone. Abriley's story is one of the first that you'll hear on our newest podcast from Nashville Public Radio, The Porch Writers Collective, and PRX. It's called Versify, a show where people tell a life story and then hear a writer turn their words into poetry. Everything in my body was ruled by water. My son's amniotic sac the sweat pouring in rivulets down my back as the killers dashed into houses on our street. My name is Joshua Moore, and I'll be your host. I'm part of the Porch Writers Collective, and we've been gathering stories and crafting poems through our Poetry on Demand events. And now we're partnering with WPLN. We find that in these exchanges between residents and poets, people really open up. And there's a sort of magic in the way our writers take the briefest intimacy weave it into a work of art, and offer it back as a gift to our participants and now to you, our listeners. In our first season, we'll meet a man who turns a limitation into his greatest strength. So he finally put his paper down. He said, son, for all practical purposes, you're blind and you will be blind for the rest of your life. There's no cure for this. I said, thank God. And I know he was wondering, why is he thanking God for being blind? And we'll learn how the classic film Jurassic Park has shaped one writer's ideas of love. So of course, we have, you know, have our parents, grandparents, church, and school. Those are typical things. What was unique about that shaped my, my thoughts and feelings on love and romance? And then I was like, Jurassic Park. We'll also discover how a terrifying Jesus dream from one woman's childhood set her on a lifelong search for religious certainty. Religion in our house was from 11 to 12, 30 on Sundays. But really, God was not something you talked about outside because that was embarrassing. By the end of each episode, these stories become insightful poetry, helping us to understand the world and one another in new ways. I could smell the rain before I heard it. 
I love the way that you wait for me to read the headlines on the days you wake up first. A labyrinth of lawyers and questionnaires, signatures, seals, verification of every word at every turn, bureaucracy swelled to surround us. It took 27 years, but it popped and then it blooded my brain. I mean, it popped and blood flooded. I mean, my head filled with red and drowned all the words of my life. Mr. Fred Bailey, his heart a volcano in his community, looks like a mountain but holds so much more. And then there is God moving on the roof as we wait out the rain. Thank you. Subscribe today to Versify and discover how we turn life's stories into poetry. What I really love about Versify, it's such a unique show concept. And I think for those of you like thinking of starting a show or like having a a concept that's like it's just so unique. It's something to hang my head on when I look online and see Versify or hear about it. Um but what I also love about it is how it um there's so many different people involved. And what I want to do next is kind of talk about our process because um you know, all of this takes a lot of time, and it's heavily produced, and um, and we all have very unique processes. And I thought, um, you know, it's it's a lot to cover, but if we could just give you the basics of that, just if for anybody who's thinking about maybe stepping in this more like documentary world or storytelling world, um, or even just the way you structure an interview, um, hopefully there's something you can take from our processes, process, processes, <laughs> aluminium. Um, uh, so, Joshua, I wonder if you, you just kind of walk us through how a Versify episode gets made, like collected and made. Yeah. Um, so it starts with our sort of live events out in the community. Poetry on Demand sets up in different neighborhoods at different like arts events and festivals around Nashville. And we basically have a field producer and a fleet of poets and some mics. And we encourage anyone who is interested to like come up and share a story from their lives. And then the poets have about an hour to turn around the poem and deliver it back to them. So it's just random people in the community. Just random people. Yeah. So like in the vein of um, The Moth or StoryCorps, like we aggregate a lot of audio over the course of several months. And then to get it to a Versify episode, we then go through kind of the catalog and listen and see what's the most promising. What what's happens. that like? Um, <laughs> it's labor intensive. <laughs> it's a lot of sort of listening hours. Though we try and... Our, we have field producers on site who kind of help us to cue the the most promising conversations and poems the day of. Um, and then we kind of determine how does it align with our mission. We're very interested in, of course, representing a broad spectrum of Nashville and lots of diverse voices. Um, so we were, try to be very intentional about like which stories we select um, and what eventually becomes a part of the show. And, and how does it... So you've selected one. It's good. Um, it's compelling narrative. It made you laugh. or what, I don't know. Why do you choose it? Yeah, so I, the factors, I would say, they're probably similar to how we determine where we do the staging, right? Like, will it be a compelling story, but also is it someone whose narrative you might not encounter otherwise? Um, is, the, is it emotionally resident? Is the poem that came out of it, like, something that's worthwhile? Yeah, because there's two factors, I guess, each episode is yeah. the, the initial story that somebody told and then the poem. Yeah, which the poets are... Um, pretty pretty talented so sometimes they'll get like a story that seems rather humdrum and they turn it into something very interesting um so it's kind of finding the balance between like what's working and what's not 
Uh, but once we do sort of determine that, we have these pre-edit conversations where we kind of list out our points. Um, it goes through several rounds of edits, usually like on paper. And then once it's, you know, once the writing process has kind of shaped the thing, then we like voice it, cut the tape, and go through several more rounds of edits. Um, Can you define some of those terms? Like cutting tape, what does that mean? Yeah, so... Of course, like when you record a conversation, you just have this long string of tape, as I'm sure you all know. How, how long are there, like the stories? For so anywhere story? from sometimes like 15, 20-minute conversations to sometimes like 50 minutes of tape, depending on um, if we had to get back together with the storyteller. Maybe they couldn't stay for their poem afterwards. So we have like these rap sessions that can often be another 30-minute conversation. Um, and, so, and like, sorry to interrupt, but like com- compare that. How long are episodes? Episodes are about uh, 12 to 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is narration. <laughs> so it's uh, a lot of time sort of keying in on what is like the, the richest element of the story. And I'm not a podcaster by trade, like I'm a poet. And coming into sort of uh, the audio production field, I, always, I like had a lot of guilt initially about like cutting down what people had to say. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, they're not going to get to say their piece. Like um, I'm stepping on their toes. But I've come to appreciate that like something that poetry and podcasting have in common is that like they are both sort of interested in precision and like precision in the in the interest of clarity and that our job is to sort of help the storytellers deliver the most sort of like clear understandable and um, perceptive story that they can okay so so you're you kind of have this farm system where you gather all of these stories in the community and get to pick and choose and then you make this thing the, the poem happens and you make this beautiful, uh, beautiful episode. So, Maraba, you work no v- process. You were you have that's not true. I this is this is well this is what I'm basing this on. In in her cubicle at the station, she's got um, note cards pinned up. Like I mean, like a hundred note cards pinned up with things like scenes and episodes, and it looks it's kind of like a, a beautiful mind, you know, like all the. <laughs> Uh, and so I feel like you, you're very thorough and you do have a process and I think you should share it with us. <laughs> well, I, I, so I, I say I don't have a process because it's, it's like anything but efficient. Um, so my process is basically just uh, find the question that I'm in search of the answer for, go to the place and never leave and avoid all my emails from my editor. <laughs> so... Um, with the Promise podcast, you know, this was, um, I had, so I should say I'm new, pretty new to Nashville. I came to Nashville two years ago where I'd been a reporter in Chicago for almost a decade. And there was a lot of topics that I covered in Chicago that I felt like I was kind of seeing similarities play out here. Um, and so with the Promise, it was like, I want to spend a lot of time in this place that can be kind of hard to penetrate. I mean, it's public land, it's federally owned land, it's public housing complex, but you know, there's definitely a sense of like, it's been isolated and ignored and pushed away from the narrative of uh, the city for so long. So I knew that it was just going to take a long time to build trust and to find the relationships that I needed and to find the people that I was interested in talking to and spending time with. So I go, I plant myself, I, I, I interview, I, I, I kind of, it's like I drill down, like I go and I start to 
interview all of the people that are kind of on the top rung, and that's usually like service providers, social workers, outreach, uh, principals, teachers, and then I connect with people, and it's like I just drill down into the community. Like I start at the top, and I try to get as low as I can. Um, and I just really spend a lot of time. Like I can't emphasize that enough. I, I am like a pretty linear pers- thinker. Like I'm just like... Point A leads to point B and C and D, and like I will get there eventually. So um, I do want to play a little bit of tape because um, the second episode of the podcast is with one of this this guy that I spend a lot of time with, who comes up a lot, who's named Dexter Turner. Um, Big Man is his name in the neighborhood. That's just what he goes by. Everyone knows him by that. And so uh, I spent a lot of time. Probably it's been like nine months, ten months at this point that I spent with Big Man. Um, and before I got any of the tape that I used in the second episode, I had been reporting with him for two months. I had been interviewing him. I had been spending time with him. And then and I went there one day, and I didn't know what the narrative of this episode was going to be. I knew I, I needed something really intimate. That's what I'm always looking for is, like, these really very real moments. Um, and he was just this really great guy, a father of two young kids, had a wife named Narkita who worked um at aramark which is like a cleaning service company um and he he was kind of like mostly on dad duty like he would go pick the kids up from the bus he would he was he would drive them around everywhere so i i love spending time with him and the kids and i had gone one afternoon because i knew i needed to get some i wanted some audio of like them having fun and he was like oh we're gonna have a barbecue and i was like great and i come and there's a triple shooting right outside his apartment someone's murdered and two people are shot and as much as like, so I'm very conscious of how communities are painted in the media, right? And I, the last thing I want to do is start with the gunshots. But this is the second episode. So we meet a lot of people, you know, and we meet Big Man and we get to know him. But the fact is, is that this was an afternoon that I turned into the narrative of the second episode because this was a really stressful moment for them. And the violence had been really ticking up. Like the homicide rate there nearly doubled over the summer. Like, something was going on, and Big Man was pissed off about it. And a lot of it was happening on South 8th Street, which is where he lives. So, anyway, this uh, this piece of tape, I think it's just clip one, is um, is the, us that afternoon, um, and, well, I'll just play it. A little after 2 p.m., it's time for Big Man to go pick Man Man and Valencia up from the bus stop. Before we set off... I ask him if he knows what he's going to tell them about the shooting. As a parent of kids growing up in Casey, this has got to be one of the most difficult things to navigate. Someone just got shot and killed, and now you got to go pick your son up. I mean, what are you going to tell your son? I mean, I can't tell him. I mean, all I can tell him is I can't, I can't hold no truth from him. They're going to see that anyway. I'm not going to hold the truth. If he don't hear from me, he's going to hear from some little child out here. Before heading off, Big Man grabs his phone, his keys, and tucks a pack of Newport cigarettes into the pocket of his cargo shorts. I don't know what else to say about shit around here. I ain't got time. Big Man starts walking across the courtyard, passing the rows of drab, two-story brick apartments, and up the hill towards South 7th Street, where he picks up his kids. He doesn't get far before running into an old friend, who's ambling along, eating a bag of chips. Yeah, that man died up there. He did? Yeah. How many people get shot? 
It wasn't Ballhead, was it? Three all together? Yeah. No, Ballhead right here? You know, no, no, you not know. that one. Uh, you know, they used to have dreads. They called him Ballhead. He'd be upstairs up there. He's skinny. Little skinny no, short dude. No, not him. He wasn't, he wasn't, no, so he, he wasn't got killed. Him. Yeah, somebody got killed. They was in the car. So I'm just always looking for, like, very real raw moments and that's why i spend so much time and i'm just hunting around for that and joshua said that you have a lot i i think i had a almost 100 hours of tape for this series that i sorted through i mean i spent a year there so i was but that's but, extreme don't that's do that very extreme don't do it i advise against it because i would because as you could see i'm always rolling i'm just always rolling like all the time all the time all the time and what I liked about that scene was that I was able to kind of be in this moment with Big Man as he's processing this event, as he's figuring out what he's going to tell his kids, and then as the news is spreading across the complex, you know, and he runs into, and it's like, who was it? Was it Baldhead? Not that Baldhead, the other, you know, I mean, everyone's trying to figure out, like, what happened? And so when you spend so much time in a place, you can start to be there, not in the aftermath, and say, let me reconstruct this moment. You're there when it's happening. And that's what I'm always searching for. I feel like that's the most, that's the best tape. I'm just always looking for a good tape. That's my process. <laughs> yeah. I would say, so we say tape, which is like archaic. It, like that's an old reporter thing where they would literally record to tape, but it just, we just mean audio. Um, and I would say, so I think, um, so Joshua, you like, you're out in the community at a table usually, right? With mic set up. And a lot, of, I think a lot of us are familiar with that kind of thing. Um, but but Maribah and I, um, typically we go out with like a field recorder. So we have a, a little recorder. We, you have a strap? I have a strap. I like wear, I have a Marantz uh, 661 and I just like, I have it around my neck and... Talk in the mic. Oh, so, I'm sorry. Talk in the mic. I work for a radio station. <laughs> okay. I, I wear like, yeah, I have, I have, I, 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 this took me a little while because I was like, I cannot hold anything. Like I need to have my hands free. And so I have... Uh, yeah, I wear it around my neck. I have like a bag that I like secure it with. And then I just have my mic. And I have a couple op- mic options, like an Omni mic or a shotgun mic. That The, the promise was done all with a shotgun mic. Yeah, which is kind of like the ones you see like a bo- on a boom for a like TV or film. And I always have the dead cat on it, the like furry thing. I, oh, I just keep it on all the time because I'm in so many different environments. I'm inside, I'm outside. I don't know what the weather's going to be, so I just keep it on all the time. So I feel like my kid has to be really agile and mobile because that's what I'm doing. I don't sit down and do interviews. I'm like out and about. I'm like moving. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Most of the time I'm breathing heavily because I'm like walking somewhere. So anyway, yeah, that's kind of mine. And I think the – so same thing. I have a shotgun mic. I have a recorder. But I think if anybody's thinking about um, going out in the field like that, um, you can get – like I think Zoom, the Zoom recorders – are both uh, something you can hook up an external mic to and record, but you can also hook it up to your computer and use that same mic to do your narration. So um, you can be nimble that way. Um, so you have anything else to say about your process before I hmm. dip into mine? Oh, um, I do have a piece of tape I want to put. I might wait until after. What is it? Okay. Well, yeah, let's wait. Um, okay, so... So here's how my process goes. Um, I usually hear about a story. Um, I've been here nine years, and so I've I've gathered a little bit of you know institutional knowledge of this place a little bit. Um, 
but often more or not I'm getting story pitches now. People are like, hey, you hear about this person or you hear about that? Or, um, and so I'll hear about a story and it usually is one character um, and they have to overcome some kind of obstacle. There has to be a narrative. There has to be some payoff. Um, and then I have, uh, I have a guy that works for me one day a week. That's, that's how Roland I am. Um, and he pre-interviews these people for me. So I have him call them and ask them basic questions. And I kind of trust him. Like, do they, he's kind of the gatekeeper. Like, is, does this feel like something real? Is this going to go somewhere? And I have him do that because I, if, if he says yes, then it's me that's going to sit down with that person next. And I'm going to ask them a lot of the same questions that he already asked them. Um, and I want them to be fresh. I want them to like that, that person to tell somebody for the first time rather than have it be rote and um, already, you know, stilted. Uh, so then I do a sit down and I always go to somebody's house because, I mean, there's all these NPR tropes, you know, walking on gravel, knocking on the front door, <laughs> opening the car. They're, they're easy, stupid little things that really... Um, like that you all can use to transport people to a place or paint paint a picture in their mind. Um, even if you're just going to, uh, you know, somebody's house to, to, to just sit down and it's just you two talking of uncut tape, if you could just cut that little bit of you sitting down and laughing for like literally three seconds, it does something to the mind to set a place. Um, and I think the next thing I do is I, um, I'll sit down, I'll do an interview um, and once I usually have about an hour and a half of tape, um, oh, you're so lucky from Wait, an interview for, one for, for, well, for one interview. Uh, and then I usually interview maybe a few auxiliary people if I need to around the, the main subject. Um, but then I come back and I, I talk through what an outline for that story would look like. And I write that on a big whiteboard and it's the biggest cluster you've ever seen. Um, with circles and lines and all sorts of things like that. Uh, and then um, what I do is I take all that tape and I cut it up in chunks and I just put it in that outline in big chunks. Uh, and then I start writing. And I, I don't know how, this is like the magic part of it. It's creativity and it's going to be different for everybody. But I, you just start, I select that one piece of tape and I drag it down and then I write something and then... I select another piece of tape and then I write something and then, you know, a week later it's like, oh, there's something, this, this is a piece now. Um, and that's just, the truth of this is it's an iterative process. You, you do it, it sucks. Every first draft sucks. So own it, fail, you know, fail early, fail fast. Um, and uh, then it's just edit, 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 edit. Um, one thing I have to do for my show, you guys were talking about ads earlier. I, I, uh, all of us have, um, are with, uh, use this thing called dovetail. And, and so one of the things I have to do is segment my episodes. It's segment A and segment B because the ads go in the middle or the front or the back. And it's like just kind of an easy way to do that. So that's part of my process. Um, and then, uh, one thing that I th- think is interesting is I've, I've had to kind of incorporate all of this other little stuff and treat it like it's part of the main episode. Otherwise it becomes all this extra crap that I don't want to do. So like, you know, like promotion and all that stuff. Um, and one of the things we, we all do are these audiograms and raise your hand if you know what an audiogram is. So it's like usually for the internet and it's like a, 
static picture, maybe you have some motion in it and there's a waveform and it's like a 30-ish second clip to just promote. So I always like make sure I make that right away. And um, could you play, I think it's just called Audiogram, just as an example of what you can do with your interviews or shows or whatever. On this episode of Neighbors, what were you looking for at the grave? I don't really know. Misho is a refugee from the war in Bosnia in the 90s. He recently made a pilgrimage to his infant brother's grave there. This is something that I have to do. I feel like I'm obligated to do it. He went there with his best friend, Dayan, who turns out to be the brother he ended up with instead. You're, like, literally the clo- one of the closest people in my life. Hear what brought them together on Neighbors. Subscribe wherever you get your shows or at podcasts.wpln.org. So that's just a little example. I mean, it, it's, and it's kind of the basics of what we all do. There's music underneath. There's a little pop of interesting tape. And I would point out that most of the... most This is kind of a rule. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tape tends to be emotional. Narration tends to be informational. Um, and you often, as narrators, we can move something uh, along when somebody might have taken two minutes to say it. And so that's a good opportunity to realize, oh, that's something I should write and say versus um, that. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, you had another piece of tape? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we, we need it. I mean, it's... Along. Okay. Yeah. It's up to you. Um, well, I guess with the with the kind of getting the word out. So the promise was a new podcast. It had zero audience. We had never done anything like this. You know, it was a very kind of like narrative, this American lifestyle veritas thing. Um, and one thing that we decided to do was to do cross promotions, um, where basically um, me and a couple of the colleagues um, just cold emailed all the podcasts that we really liked that we felt like were similar to the promise and said hey like we've got this new podcast it's like x y and z and we did you know kind of gave a short elevator pitch and we're like we would love to do a cross promotion we're basically in one of the ad insertion spots in the mid-roll we would say hey if you like this show you've heard this before you like this show, you'll like that show. And we did that with um, Out of the Blocks with Baltimore Public Radio, which is a really, really great podcast I recommend, um, where they go on one city block in Baltimore and create this amazing kind of soundscape story. Um, and then a few others from St. Louis, um, in, um, a Hawaii Public Radio show. So we just picked about like five. And then we did these cross promotions with them and tried to kind of hit like various points in the country. And I think that did do some work for us. I think it did help spread the word about the promise because we've gotten a national audience for it. And so that's something, and it was totally free. It just took some time, just took some time to like find out the podcasts that feel like kind of the sister brother podcast to yours and to reach out to the people that make those and say, Hey, like, do you want to work with me on this? Yeah. And last thing I'll say before questions, unless you have anything else, Joshua, if this seems interesting to you like to pursue this style um or to even just like see what you can steal from it to use for your for your own there's there's like the places to go to to start so there's a place called transom.org t-r-a-n-s-o-m it's like the transoms are those things over doors in southern homes to let air in 
it is uh, an amazing resource of over a decade's worth of manifestos written by well-known producers, gear, uh, tutorials, uh, thoughts on editing, thoughts on writing, interviewing, ethical things, business things. It's all there. They have their own podcast called How Sound where they I, – I was on it for The Promise, but they talk to producers about like how they did their thing. So it's really helpful. Yeah, it's kind of a behind the – behind the scenes look um also if you're wanting to be maybe you want a there's a thing called tape syncs do you know what a tape sync is uh so like a lot of shows bigger shows will say hey we're in new york but we want to uh interview garth brooks in nashville and we need we need somebody to go with a mic and sit at his house and stick it in his face while we talk to them on a phone. That's, that's really it. You just record their side, and then you send them a file, and that's that. There's a thing called um, airmedia.org, and they have um, – it stands for, AIR stands for Association of Independence in Radio. You pay like a yearly due, and you get on a listserv, and there's all these gigs and job opportunities and people looking for things. It's, it's a good community to be a part of if that's, if that's your bag and um, – Totally worth the money. I think the yearly due is like 125 bucks, and a tape sync usually 30 minutes uh, of time is usually 150 bucks plus mileage. Um, so it's just a fun thing. You meet all sorts. I interviewed Jewel the other uh, <laughs> like a month ago, and I did not expect that. It was just an email one day, and then the next day I'm like in Jewel's house, which is really weird. So Air Media. Uh, the other, last one I'll say is Third Coast. Uh, is it what's their web address? Third Coast, uh, Inter- Third Coast International Audio Festival. Dot Third, org. Dot org. <laughs> I think that's right. If you just Google Third Coast Festival. It's, it's um, they, they hold a uh, conference uh, every year in Chicago, and it's like the mecca of all of the NPR, APM, like all of the radio producers, and it's, it's really, really awesome. That was Jacob Lewis of Neighbors Podcast, Mariba Knight of the Promise Podcast, also Joshua Moore. His podcast is called Versify. Prospect is a series of independently organized events centering around podcasts. If you're interested in attending one, if you're interested in organizing one, more information at podfecta.com. If you want to reach out to me, David Hooper, I'm available at bigpodcast.com. At that website, there's a form that goes directly to me. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments, your questions. If you want to organize a Podfecta event in your area, I'd love to help you do that. Thank you for listening to the Podfecta podcast. I hope to see you at a Podfecta event soon.